Hey guys, I just want to get on here real quick and uh, apologize if you hear a little clicking and clacking. Uh, that is my headphone microphone and um, I probably will not be using it again. I just want to give you a heads up. I tried to clean it up as much as I could, um, but unfortunately it's there through a little bit of it. So please bear with us as we're trying to do this um, virtually from home and separate uh, while social distancing. So I uh, hope you enjoy this episode of Balls. Thanks. Bye. Okay, so we're we're trying this uh, virtual recording here. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, since we're all stuck in quarantine. I have no idea if this is going to work, but we'll try. Balls, a supernatural podcast with Lizzie and Missy. Okay, so everybody is in quarantine right now. Everybody's socially distancing like we are. So that means things are getting postponed. Pushed back and postponed. Yeah. So two things we want to talk about real quick are MementoCon got pushed back from May to August 1st and 2nd. And then also Sci-Fi ValleyCon got post postponed from June to August 18th, or excuse me, August 28th through the 30th. But with MementoCon being postponed, they have an extra special guest already announced for next year's MementoCon. It's super exciting. <laughs> I mean, they already announced it, so we can say Misha's going to be there. I mean, yeah, you can you can go onto their website and you saw, you'll see a picture of him. Yeah, it's pretty exciting though. And if you already bought tickets to this year's MementoCon and you can't go to the um, new dates, you could actually I think you could go on their website, but there you get tickets for next year already if you can't go. Another thing, um, Liz and I are video chatting right now. Yeah. This is this <laughs> so. home, so like you get full. Family and dog interactions. Yeah. Depending on how... No, we're probably not going to post the video. But <laughs> <laughs> Just clips. Yeah. The funny parts. On the cutting room floor. Now video yep. session. Okay, you want to get into it? Let's get into it. So we did host a viewing party for season two, episode one, In My Time of Dying. Let me tell you, that, that Netflix part, I, even though it was, like, just the two of us, I thought it was fun. It's an interesting I, way to interact with people. I like the fact that you can you can chat alongside live with each other, so you can kind of, like, get a reaction instead of just... And you can answer questions, too, like, if somebody yeah. knows something that you might not. Mm-hmm. So, season two, episode one, In My Time of Dying, came out September 28, 2006, um, and it took place in Shiloh County... Suey Falls. Is that Suey Falls? Or is it? Sioux Falls. Sioux Falls. South Dakota. Sioux Falls. Yes, South Dakota. And Shala County. Ooh. Um, and we left off. Season one was just when they were T-boned by the trucker. Oh, the demon trucker. After dealing with yellow eyes. You want an outline? Yeah, I would love an outline. Okay. Uh, Sam, Dean, and their father are left for dead by the demon. But after help arrives, one of the Winchesters is left fighting for his life while the others must face an old adversary. There you go. I like it. Um, so when we open up, we're back at the scene of the crash. And Sam is the only one who really has any kind of consciousness. Dean's out, dad's out. And the trucker has the demon expel from him. Yeah, that demon got scared. I think he got scared whenever Sam had the gun up to him. He definitely fucking chickened out. Yeah, he's like, you're saving that for someone else. And Sam's like, am I? Like, I can shoot you right now. And then he was like, boom, gone. So, like, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. That seems to be a big thing in this episode, too, is the, I'm going to shoot you. No, you're not. 
And he's like, do you really think I'm not going to? Okay, well, maybe. Maybe we'll do what you want. Uh, so the demon gets out, and then the poor driver oh, yeah. is left to realize that he cheap-owned this car. Yeah, he's like, oh my god, did I do that? Did so I he has do that? that? Yeah. But do you yeah. know, how long do you think it took the, uh, we've talked about this on the, the um, Netflix party, but how long do you think it took for, like, the paramedics and people to get there? Because it was, like, daylight when that helicopter is, like, above yeah. them. And I feel like it wasn't, like, way late in the night, like, two or three in the morning, close enough to dawn, where it was, like, that pitch black. Yeah. I didn't and then, think it was. Ugh. Yeah, no, it definitely was pretty late, uh, the emergency response. Because at first, like, when they show the bottom of the helicopter, I thought it was, like, maybe, like, a searchlight was coming mm-hmm. down. But then all of a sudden, it's, like, just daylight outside. Like, 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. So they get life-flighted, essentially, to the hospital, where we find out that Sam's, surprisingly, not nearly as hurt. I mean, he was on a backboard with a freaking neck brace on. Yeah, he was on the backboard. And then he's just walking around, like, nothing happened to him with his well, bloody you clothes. Have, you have both Dad and Dean in the the brand new v-neck white (laughs) t-shirts yeah and the scrub pants i'm assuming dad has scrub pants we really don't see him up and moving i hope he has pants on he's covered by a blanket that's true that's true but yeah sam's just walking around in his normal bloodied clothes without almost any medical attention to his face yeah but you did notice like dean has that giant scrub he gets up and starts walking around through the hospital without any shoes on by the way which kind of grossed me out a little bit it's like, why don't you have your, like, little hospital socks on? Well, I think, I think we answer that later on. Because technically, he's not really walking around. That's true. It's true. That's true. But the, the, whoever did the stitches on his forehead, he, he's going to have, like, a Harry Potter scar. Like, they did not do a good job trying to, for his pretty, pretty face, trying to get him back to normal. No, and actually, from my head uh, wound, I found out that you have a little oh, close to 24 hours to actually stitch yourself back together without almost any scar. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I did not know body, that. Uh, 14 hours or 7 hours before, like, you can actually really scar. Oh. But for some reason, a head wound is up to 24 hours. Wow. Okay. Didn't know that. I know. I didn't either until I showed up at the hospital, and the guy was like, <laughs> you made it in time. And I was like, thanks. That's what I was going for. Until you had a head wound, and you're like, hey, this is how we find things out. And he's like, I need to stitch you. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Have fun. Um, So Dean's up and walking around, kind of talking to Sam and Dad, but no one's hearing him. No. It's the the beginning when he first gets up, it's like eerily empty. The hospital's like eerily empty. There's no doctors, there's no nurses, there's no one checking in on there's no one checking in on him, which I thought was weird for his condition. Yeah, being hooked up to all those machines and everything. Like, we'll just leave you alone, it's fine. Uh, So he kind of walks out and he's kind of trying to figure things out. No one's listening to him. He even walks up to the main desk where there's a pretty girl. I was going to say the pretty nurse didn't even talk to him. She didn't answer him. And so we find out that Dean is not doing well. No. Dean is actually having an out-of-body experience. He is now a disembodied spirit. That's when he finds Sam and he finds his body. Yeah. So there's so much crying from Sam in this episode. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's so, so much ugly crying. Um, and that's when we find out that the prognosis for Dean is not good. In fact, they don't even know if he's going to make it. and. Uh, they don't think he'll survive. Yeah. So then Sam goes and checks on his dad. And his dad doesn't really have any kind of remorse for Dean. Like, he's like, oh, how's your brother? Oh, okay, here's what I need you to do. Yeah, he, like, the first thing he says is, like, where's the colt? What did you do with the colt? Yeah. And so he goes, it's okay, they're, they're going to tow it. And then dad freaks out and he goes, but don't worry, we're going to have Bobby. Bobby's about an hour out. And he's going to go get it. 
and John then sends Sam to retrieve the Colt from the Impala's trunk and other items he says are to ward off demons and that are for protection. Yeah, his, his list of ingredients there on the hospital little paper. Um, and when Sam actually goes to the yard where Bobby is to retrieve the Colt from the Impala trunk, we find out as he's listing things off to Bobby that they're not for protection at all. Nope. And Sam gets pissed. Pissed. Well, even before, whenever Sam leaves the hospital room and Dean, out of body Dean, is kind of standing in the corner, he knows that dad's up to something. Yeah. Because they're not telling the whole truth. Yeah, there's something off. Like, they know kind of things that are for protection, and this does not sound like protection. Right. So, at this point, Dean's still kind of just walking around. Yeah. <laughs> investigating the hospital, because I guess what are you going to do is an out-of-body, a disembodied spirit, I guess. Yeah, you got time on your hands. Yeah. You know, you're not <laughs> if you can't get back in there, then might as well walk around. Is this, is this when Dean first sees the Reaper, and he, like, scares it out of the way? Yeah. Yeah. He's walking around and he hears something flatline, the child. Was it, no, was it the nurse first? Oh, maybe it was the nurse and he sees I don't the... Know if, I don't know if he saw the Reaper with the nurse, but the nurse dies. But I think he does see the Reaper with the little girl. Yeah, and then he sees, as he's walking around, he sees uh, doctors working on a little girl and uh, he sees a Reaper hovering above her bed. Yeah. As like this creepy, urethral, like floating skeleton. It kind of, in my mind, looks like what I think like a banshee would look like. It did look very Banshee-like. Yeah. And originally, because we don't really see Reapers in that form. Their true form, yeah. Uh, I originally, before I knew we were dealing with Reapers, uh, thought it was a Banshee. Yeah. Then he meets Tessa. Then he meets Tessa. Well, at this point, this is also when Sam confronts John. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I skipped ahead. I'm sorry. Um, because after he talks with Bobby and fights about the Impala, because Bobby goes, just scrap it. And Sam goes, no, we're not scrapping it. Yeah, uh, like, even if there's one little piece of it left, that's enough. We need to ha- we can't give up on it. No, and later on when we start seeing, like, the scars of the Impala, like, the the initials on the side of the car and the, the Legos and the, the army men, we, we realize that there are these pieces of the Impala that just stayed. Right. But Sam confronts his dad and goes, bullshit, dad, this isn't protection. This is for summoning a demon. Right. And John kind of digs into Sam about, like, you've had a chance to kill this thing. And Sam goes, no, I would have killed you. And Sam goes, uh, Daddy goes, no, I, you should have just done it. We could have ended this right now. Right, it would have been over. You and, like, Dean wouldn't be in that hospital bed. You guys would be fine. But then Dean, in all his spirit might. As they're arguing, and he's trying to yell at them for attention. Yeah. That vase knocks that vase off the table. The glass of water. Oh, the glass of water. He's like a full-on Swayze, that mother. <laughs> and that's when his body goes into cardiac arrest. He disappears as the disembodied spirit. And uh, Sam rushes to his side and cries. Yeah. Because they think that they're going to kill him. Uh, he's going to die. Not that the doctor's going to kill him. Yeah, gonna, uh, <laughs> yeah the, doctor, the doctor went out to him and was like, you know what? I'm sorry. We're going to kill you now. Thank you. So his spirit, he ends up, his heart gets start again. Yeah, he runs up and he grabs the, the Reaper. Yep. Well, he's like, well, it's above him. And they, they didn't like that at all. He does not like the Reaper. He is no. terrified of the Reaper. Yeah. And so he continues to walk around the hospital and is met by some girl who also is trying to get the attention of hospital workers or anybody that'll hear her. Yeah. 
and she seems to be in a similar a similar state that Dean is. And this is actually where he uh, sees the little girl who's dying because that's when a code blue is called and he goes running right. and sees the little girl who's dying. And that's oh, yeah, when he Because he runs away from Tessa, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where he realizes that they're dealing with a reaper and that this is just a natural process, that it's not like haunted, it's not a curse, it's just something that happens. Right. And this is where Sam kind of tells Dad that he can sense Dean's presence. Mm-hmm. And he's determined to contact him and save him and not give up on him. Meanwhile, John goes to the basement and starts opening. Yeah, yeah, before he lies to Sam and says, I'm not gonna go I'm not gonna go after the demon until I know that Dean's okay. That's true. Yeah. And he's like, um, yeah, you didn't do that. Um, and this is also where so dad's going down to the basement to perform a summoning ritual. Yeah. Um, despite the fact that he promised Sam to not do anything. Meanwhile, Sam takes a Ouija board <laughs> to Dean's room. And there's a whole tray above the bed, which I thought was hilarious, where he could have put the Ouija board, but yeah, he but sat on more cross legged. Yeah, he sat on the ground like a little kid. Which is also adding to Dean's, I feel like I'm at a slumber party. Yes. And as I said the other day, that is one slumber party that I would love to be at. Um, So they both sit across from each other, and Dean decides to try and give it a whirl. And Sam asks if Dean is there, and he says yes. So at this point, they're communicating. He tells Sam that they're dealing with a reaper and that he's currently hunting it. Yeah. That's when Dean, or Sam goes and finds dad's journal to read about reapers yeah because he's like dad will know what to do i'm gonna mm-hmm. go i'm gonna go talk to him oh and but he's not there yeah uh so he gets dad's journal and starts reading about it and it's about this point that dean reads over his shoulder that reapers can take human form Mm-hmm. yeah and they could alter human perception so whatever mm-hmm. they want him to see is what he'll see exactly so at this point he runs to the room where he originally saw tessa lying with her mother holding her hand Mm-hmm. And finds the room to be completely desolate without the fact that Tessa is sitting on the bed. And he confronts Tessa, admits that she's, she admits to him that she's a reaper and that he freaked out at her original form, so she had to take this form. Yeah, so he, she could talk to him. Exactly. And uh, kind of just goes through the fact that, like, this is what happens and it's okay. Meanwhile, Daddy's downstairs in the basement of the hospital, which is a really creepy basement for a hospital. Yeah, he goes into the boiler room slash biohazard room. <laughs> I'm not going in there. <laughs> he's confronted by a worker who says he's not supposed to be down there. Yeah. And Daddy pulls out the colt on him and goes, do you think I'm really that stupid? And it turns out, boom, yellow eyes. Yeah. Yellow eyes with backup. Yeah, with yellow eyes with the two backup <laughs> dancers. Like he wasn't going to back. I like that backup dancers. Like he wasn't going to have anybody on his side. Yeah. Like, and he has one. And he, yellow eyes, tells John, you know, you only have one bullet. And it's at this point that we find out that he's not going to kill him. He wants to barter. He wants to make a deal. Make a deal, yeah. He, uh, he will give him the colt if he saves Dean. And uh, Yellow Eyes kind of gives in and goes, okay, but you need to sweeten the pot. And we don't really find out what the sweetening the pot is because he doesn't really say. Yeah, it just kind of cuts out. But he does eventually agree to return Dean to his body in exchange for the colt. And what we eventually feel is what we eventually see as John's soul or life. And it's just about as Dean is about to tell Tessa his decision of whether or not he's going to go with her or he's going to keep fighting. Do you uh, think, is, oh, hmm? sorry, do you think that he was about to tell her that he was going to go with her? Do you think, think he's so. like, you know what, you have a good point. I don't want to stay here and be like a vengeful spirit. 
I'll come with Yeah, you. because it's, it's after the vengeful spirit talk. She's like, all right, that's fine. You can stay around here getting more frustrated and angry. And she goes, how do you think these spirits that you hunt become what they are? Right. And I think he, he eventually, like, that explanation really got to him. And I think that's why he eventually was going to be like, yeah, sure. Okay, yeah, you're right. It's yeah. my time. Yeah. Because this is the first real time that he dies, dies. Like, we right. knew he was going to die. Mm-hmm. Because of his heart. Yeah. Um, but... But he wasn't really that close to, to dying. And uh, Tessa gets overtaken by yellow eyes going, no, you can't do this. Oh, um, that, that's so weird that a demon can control a reaper. a reaper. Yeah. Well, and I guess uh, that leads to like the tier of demons. Like because he's a higher tier of demon, he kind of has that power to. to uh, he's like king president demon. <laughs> royal chancellor of the demon kingdom. 34 <laughs> legions under him. Uh, number two. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when Dean is returned to his body and John and Sam are at his uh, bedside as he recovers. And John tells Sam that he's sick of arguing and sends Sam to go get some caffeine because he's got a headache. He's not feeling great. Well, yeah, because Sam started to rip into him again. Mm-hmm. Like he went, you know, summon the demon or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, I just don't want to fight right now. You know, there's, it's a bigger picture here and I don't want to, I don't want to get into it with you right now. And I wonder if that's because he knows he's going to die. Oh, I think definitely, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Sam goes and gets caffeine, and while Sam is gone, uh, John tells Dean just how, like, proud he is of him and how he regrets that the burden of carrying the family fell on Dean's shoulders, holding them together, and that he was, like, the glue. Um, and he asks him to look after Sam, and Dean kind of feels like something's going on. Yeah. Um, and that's when... John whispers into Dean's ear something, and you see the shock on Dean's face. Mm-hmm. Oh, when he said, Dad, you're scaring me, like, I just, oh, my God. Stop. Don't make my Dean sad. Don't make me ugly cry. Stop it. I don't want to look like Sam. Um, and it's about this time that Sam returns with the coffee, only to find John collapsed on the hospital floor. Yeah. Did you notice, though, that the, the coffee drop? Yes. The perfect coffee drop. Just boom, and the lid falls off. Uh-huh. Yeah, it lands right on the base, too. It doesn't even tip over. Yeah, he he lost all control and all strength in his hand. Yeah. Um, and they run over, and they, despite all the act, the doctor's efforts, uh, John is what we think dead. Yes. Dead, dead. At 10.41 a.m., they say. So it's just an emotional episode. It was an emotional oh my God. season. Yeah, way to kick it off with that, <laughs> with all that happening. You end with us... In a car accident. Yeah. With them almost dying. And then you start the season with John, like, kicking it after dealing with, making a deal with Yellow Eyes. Oh, uh, did you also, did you notice that Yellow Eyes also had yellow teeth? It's kind of creeping me out. He also has a butt, a butt chin. Yeah. <laughs> that he does. Are you ready for Missy's random shit? Yes. Which also I just wrote down as MRS, so it just looks like Mrs. to me now. That's fine. I eventually, you're talking about near-death experiences, just put NDE. <laughs> You know, those NDEs. The technical term. We're all about being technical here. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's get into it. All right, let's get into the random shit. So, um, did you know that the, so the uh, episode is In My Time of Dying. Do you know it's also a Led Zeppelin song? I did. I did not know that, and I feel bad for not knowing it. I'm a huge Led Zeppelin fan. One of the shows we're doing is Dark Side of the Hofla, and I'm um, doing Ramble On. Oh, Okay. Uh, isn't one of Jensen's kids named Zeppelin? Uh, boy's name Zeppelin? Quinn. Okay. Uh, the name on John's medical insurance is Elroy McGillicuddy, which is a, a reference to I Love Lucy. 
That was her main name was McGillicuddy. And then uh, Supernatural Wiki, I think, uh, said it could also be a reference to Elspeth McGillicuddy, which is a character in Agatha Christie's novel 450 from Paddington. Okay. Uh, when Dean says, dude, I full on Swayze, that mother, uh, Dean is obviously referring to Patrick Swayze's character in Ghost. That was hilarious. I know, so funny. Uh, over the hospital PA, you hear paging Dr. Kripke to room 237, which is a reference to Eric Kripke, who is the creator, and room 237 from The Shining. Another Shining reference. Seems Love to happen a lot. Yeah. Uh, Tessa says stage three bargaining, and that uh, is in reference to the Kubler-Ross model, uh, which describes the five stages of grief. Okay, yeah. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Uh, in this season, as they do in I, all the seasons, uh, the title card changed from the green supernatural in the first season to this one, the supernatural um, dissolves out in flames. You like how I'm doing this? Mm. And the first A is uh, a pentagram. Because we're dealing with demons. Yeah. Uh, so then the filming location, um, the flight of stairs where Dean comes down in the hospital has actually been used in other um, episodes of Supernatural. Uh, so far, it was in Season 1, Episode 5, Bloody Mary, and Season 1, Episode 11, Scarecrow. And I was trying to think back to if I saw those stairs before, and I, I could not remember. Mm. I can't off the top of my head. Yeah, I'm like, really? In, in, like, Scarecrow? That was pretty much, like, in a field. Yeah, I was trying to think. And even on the inside, like, none of the townhomes had... Yeah, and I couldn't remember. Like, I know he went to the the um professor's house but i didn't think they went into like a like a public hospital like building i don't know that's what it said i go with what they say okay <laughs> i'll go with it uh carrie ann fleming who played the dying nurse uh actually took over the role as bobby's wife karen singer uh from elizabeth marlou in season five and seven. Ah. i like when they come back i like when they have a small role and then they come back and play a bigger part. I do too. I appreciate that a lot. So then Melinda Sward, who played a nurse, also played Jamie in um, season four, episode five, Monster Movie. And fun fact, Dean is not wearing his amulet in this episode. Oh, he's not? No. No. Uh-uh. Nope. The amulet Sammy gave him. That one. I noticed that he was wearing a v-neck. You're just excited about the clean white v-neck that you're like, oh. I was like, since when does he wear a clean white v-neck? I can't concentrate. There's no plaid here. I don't know what's going on. Uh, there's a discrepancy on the heart monitor. It's a discrepancy in dates. So the date on Dean's heart monitor uh, when he goes into cardiac arrest says August 12th, 2006. Uh, but they go to John's heart monitor. It shows that it is 9.06 a.m. on July 19th, 2006. Oh. And when the doctor pronounces him dead, it's at 10.41 a.m. So there's even a time difference. Day difference, time difference. What is going on? Continuity, people. Seriously. This episode introduces the concept of demon deals, which we will see many, many times. Which I thought originally only had to be at a crossroads. I guess when you're dealing with Super President Demon, that he can do it anywhere. High Chancellor, Demon King. Yeah. yeah. Even the, the biohazard basement boiler room. Yep. Uh, so this says that uh, shows that high tier demons can possess reapers. There it is. Uh, this is a, Dean makes the first mention of like a hole or pit in his stomach, and not not spoiler, but later on he finds out that um, the hole is a result of not actually going with Tessa and kind of like defying nature. Yeah. 
there were a lot of things when I was looking through these that um, were like major spoilers. And I was like, okay, well, I can't tell them that. I can't say that. I don't want to get too far ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so then, uh, they haven't mentioned Yellow Eyes' name yet, have they? No. He's just the yellow-eyed demon still. Okay. Well, this kind of gives it away. But we find out soon, anyway. Uh, it says, John uses, uses the sigil of Azazel to summon the yellow-eyed demon, suggesting that he knew the name all along. Well, I feel like there aren't too many yellow-eyed demons. They're all very specific. And because they call him yellow eyes, that's what differentiates him as a demon. But do you look that up in your demon book? Like, description uh, of your demon? It did mention Azazel, and he was the one that I kind of, like, briefly mentioned when I was just going through the list. Yeah. Um, because I didn't want to go too into detail about him. Yet. Yet. Dun-dun-dun. I, ha- I have to get creative with these episodes that repeat a lot of things that I've already done. Yeah. <laughs> I've done Reapers already. You're like, I'll save that one. Uh, early in the episode, the hospital page for Michael Crawford, 340. Uh, Michael Crawford is actually a teacher at the University of Kansas in Lawrence, and he teaches Anthropology 340. Okay. So little things. Uh, and then there is an error. It's a Jensen error. Uh, when the doctor is talking to Sam about his brother's condition, as the camera turns to Dean's body, where he's supposed to be in a coma, you can see Jensen closing his eyes because he was watching what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> Curiosity killed the cat. Like, haha, I see you. And I would, I, I said this to you the other day, but like when they were filming this and disembodied Dean is in the background, like how hard was it for these people not to acknowledge him when he's like, like yelling in their faces pretty much and like snapping at people? And I think my, I would have twitched an eye or something. I feel like, yeah, I had to go through a couple takes with like the snapping and stuff because you just have those body reactions. Yeah. But I also feel like Jensen would be that kind of person that in the situation would go behind somebody and like blow in their ear. Yeah. I totally think when Sam had his, his back turned to us and he was facing Dean when Dean's disembodied, that he was like, he had to be making faces at him mm-hmm. because Jensen was the only one that could see him. So I'm so sure that Jared was like, oh. <laughs> had to. Okay. That's all I got. All right. So this time I focused on out of body experiences because I've already done Reapers. Because this isn't the first time that the boys have dealt with Reapers. Um, because in the hospital, they dealt with them. So I did out-of-body experiences or near-death experiences, which is defined as experiences in which a person seems to be awake and sees his or her body and the world from a disembodied location outside the physical body. These can include sensations of floating and viewing scenes around the body, spending time in a beautiful otherworldly realm. Oh, meeting spiritual beings, angels, or God, encountering friends or lost long, long lost relatives, recalling scenes from one's life, feeling a sense of connectedness to all creation, and being called away and then back into the body. Um, most accounts of NDE come from cardiac arrest patients, um, which if you've ever seen any kind of studies of near-death experiences, most of them are cardi- cardiac arrest patients. Um, in 1926, psychical researcher and fellow of the Royal Society. A fellow of the Royal Society. Sir William Barrett. Oh. He's a sir. Uh, wrote a book on deathbed visions where people saw other worlds, spoke to the dead, and in some cases even had attendants actually see the spirit leave the body. Oh, no, shit, really? Yeah, so people who took care of these people could see the spirit like physically leaving the body when they died. Oh, that's so creepy. Um, so that was 1926. 
And then in 1975, an American physician, Raymond Moody, published Life After Life, aptly named, uh, which explains a typical NDE after compiling stories from people he said experienced it. So this is kind of what he thinks is the conglomeration of everybody telling him stories is what like happened. Like there's a typical near-death experience. Yeah. Like if you're mm-hmm. going to have one, this is probably what's going to happen. Exactly. Um, so it usually starts with the person hearing themselves pronounced dead, uh, followed by a buzzing or ringing sound and a long tunnel. Usually ends with a barrier, with the person actually not being able to pass through the barrier, which is also sometimes considered a light, and the person returning to their body. Oh, okay. So you go up to it, and then it's like, yeah, I can't get through. I yeah, guess you I'll go to back. Walk, walk through your tunnel, and you're like, uh, uh, okay, guess I'm just going to go on back now. So in 1982, a Gallup poll found one in ten or one in seven adult Americans have had a close to death experience. One in seven. One in seven. Wow. Uh, one in twenty had a near death experience, which is that out of body. Yeah. Well, even that one in twenty. Mm-hmm. Wow. So in 1980, at the University of Connecticut, psychologist Kenneth Ring surveyed 102 people and found about 50 percent of them had what he dubbed a, quote, core experience, which he broke into five stages. Core experience. That just reminds me of uh, Inside Out. It was a core of, memory. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's kind of what it is, too. So, like, the first, the first stage of the core death experience, or the core experience, is peace. Oh, okay. Uh, the second stage is body separation. The third stage is entering the darkness. The fourth stage is seeing the light. And the fifth stage is entering the light. Don't go toward the light. <laughs> I guess not if you want to go back. <laughs> Recent neurological and neuroscientific research suggests that out-of-body experiences are a result of a disturbed bodily multisensory integration, primarily in the right temporal parietal cortex. Oh, is that it? All the time. <laughs> Doing this research made me feel highly intelligent. <laughs> like I know what I'm talking about in my neurological research. There you go. Um, Now, some believe that an oxygen shortage, hypoxia, is a common result of cardiac arrest, which can lead to disorientation, hallucination, and confusion, which would explain the possible near-death experience or out-of-body experience, um, as well as too much carbon dioxide, which is hypercarbia, which may give people a feeling of separation from their body. So there are people who believe it, and there are some people who believe that it's right up there with, like, alien abduction and that kind of stuff. And the people who believe it along with alien abduction believe that it's actually explained by science, which is the oxygen shortage and too much carbon dioxide. Um, There is a woman named Elena or Alana Karen. Uh, She compares an NDE to a hero's journey or the monomyth, which if you've ever studied like ancient Greek, there's a big belief on the hero's journey, which is like the Hercules, which is generally a quest. And this is actually sounds a lot more like what Dean dealt with in this episode. Um, A quest beginning with the protagonist being shaken out of normal life by some disturbance generally cardiac arrest or death. Um, they continue to go on to a journey to an unfamiliar realm. Uh, they face tests, battle em- enemies, questions, lo- uh, question loyalty of friends and family, which Dean does with dad and Sam. Yeah. Withstands the climactical ordeal and teeters on the brink of failure. So in this one, it's when he's talking to Tess and he's kind of like giving in. Yeah. Um, ultimately returning to where he began, victorious but transformed. Oh, Okay. So she believes that the near-death experience is more of a hero's journey than it is just this thing that they go through. 
Now, the oldest known recording of a near-death experience is by an 18th century French military doctor named Pierre-Jean Monchau, or Monchot, uh, in his book, Anecdotes de Médecine. So that was in the 1700s. Um, there is a professor and psychiatrist named Bruce Grayson who developed a 16-point scale to measure the depth of an individual's near-death experience in 1983. 16 points? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so... On a score, you need a score of seven or higher to be considered acceptable for research purposes. Oh, so if you're a six, they're like, eh, it just wasn't enough. It's, it's not a strong near-death experience. We can't use it. Um, <laughs> Sorry, so, your near-death experience wasn't that good for us. Yeah. Um, so it's broken up into point systems and to 16 questions. So the first through four questions deal with cognitive components, uh, five through eight, effective component, 9 through 12, paranormal component, and 13 to 16, transcendental components. Um, and before I get into, because I actually have his 16-point scale, um, my research includes uh, Susan Blackmore of the UK, who studied this, um, sciencedirect.com and theatlantic.com. Rolling over my dog. <laughs> All right, so on the Grayson NDE scale, which is quantifying phenomena, it starts with one through 16 questions. Uh, I'm not going to go through all that. They're usually like, no, everything, everything. So the first question is, did time speed up or slow down? Two, were your thoughts speeded up? Three, did scenes from your past come back to you? Four, did you suddenly seem to understand everything? Five, did you have a feeling of peace or pleasantness? Oh. Uh, six, did you have a feeling of joy? Seven, did you feel a sense of harmony or unity with the universe? Eight, did you see or feel surrounded by a brilliant light? I guess if you have like a dim light, it doesn't really count. They get you kicked out of this. <laughs> yeah, no, an unusually bright light or a light clearly of mystical or otherworldly origin. Oh, <laughs> it wasn't just a spotlight. It was clearly of mystical yeah. origin. Um, nine, were your senses more vivid than usual? Ten, did you seem to be aware of things going on elsewhere as if by extrasensory perception? Mm. Eleven, did scenes from the future come to you? And that one includes, no, scenes from my personal future or scenes from the world's future. Wow, it can get that big. Um, Twelve, did you feel separated from your body? Yes, as I was looking down on it, I felt a little bit separated from it. <laughs> Options, no. One, I lost awareness of my body. Just like, I, I didn't know what was happening. Or two, I clearly left my body and existed outside of it. <laughs> um, Thirteen, did you seem to enter some other unearthly world? And your options are no. Some unfamiliar and strange place. Or a clearly mystical and unearthly realm. <laughs> this is some D&D &D fans <laughs> dream. <laughs> I was in an unearthly and mystical realm. It gets better. So 14, did you seem to encounter a mystical being or presence or hear an unidentifiable voice? Your options are no, or I heard a voice and I could not identify it, or I encountered a definite being or a voice clearly of mystical or unearthly origin. Those God. I definitely talked to God. <laughs> um, 15, did you see deceased or religious spirits? And your, your options are no, or I sense their presence, or I actually saw them. Um, and 16, did you come to a border or point of no return? And your options there are no, or I came to a definite conscious decision to return to life, or I came to a barrier that I was not permitted to cross or was sent back against my will. 
Oh, okay. So that's that's the 16-point scale done by uh, Bruce Grayson to identify the measure of depth of a person's individual near-death experience. It's a lot of points. It's a lot of points. <laughs> but that's, that's all. I, I mean, I could go on and on about near-death experiences, but that's pretty much what I found, and they were all kind of saying the same thing. I mean, they're still studying it, and it's been studied for forever. And there are people who compare, like, near-death experiences from cardiac arrest to, like, hallucinations from drugs, because some people say that they have a near-body experience or an out-of-body experience when hallucinating there. But I highly doubt in those that they're, like, meeting a border. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when they come down from their high, that's where they meet the border. <laughs> they're like, no, I wanted to continue talking to that angelic flower, Daisy. I felt so peaceful. I didn't want to come home. In an Alice in, Alice in Wonderland type world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have a, a rabbit and a mad hatter. Yes. Talking caterpillar. I mean, why not? These things, those are all out-of-body near-death experiences, I guess. I guess Alice was having a near-death experience. Oh, my God. Maybe she was. That's so sad, though. That means she was dying. But she came back. She did. So what is our next episode? Trying to look it up. Episode two. The worst part is I had it pulled up. Everybody loves a clown. Oh, no. Uh, If this is what I'm thinking of, I certainly am not going to love this one. Uh, They investigate murders committed by a killer clown. Yep, nope, this is the one that I do not like, and it's the one that I can completely side with Sam on. Mm-mm. <laughs> You're like, mm-mm, nope. I, I remember this, and at one point Sam says something, and I was like, I'm, yep, I'm right there with you. <laughs> he goes, a clown? It has to be a fucking clown. And I'm like, bro, I know. <laughs> I feel you. feel you, bro. <laughs> I hated this episode, because I do not like clowns. But I'll go probably more in depth with that many times. Like I did on Bugs. I can't wait to hear the clown episode now. <laughs> I am not. I do not like clowns. This is also where we get to meet Ash. <gasps> I think. Is it? I think we get to meet Ash in this episode. <gasps> OMG. Because I think this is where we kind of find more about, like, Azazel. So wait, do we get to meet Joe and Ellen? Uh, yeah, we meet it. Well, I don't know if we get to meet. Yeah, this is where we get to meet all of them. Joe, Ellen, and Ash. Why do I feel like they were so much further into the series than season two? No, because this is where they, they, they're pretty big in season two. Because they're in a couple episodes. Maybe I just don't like to think about them because, you know. That whole thing later on. You know what happens. Yeah. <laughs> okay, do we want to say goodbye to the peeps? Yeah, thanks for joining and listening to us while you're on quarantine. Yeah, we hope that uh, this comes out good so we can keep doing it while we're <laughs> social distancing. <laughs> And pretty uh, much the podcast studio has been torn apart anyway, so <laughs> we, we can record from home. Yeah, and also we're going to try, because we had a lot of fun with the viewing party, so we're going to try and do it at another point for something. We're not sure what, but we want to do it again. Yeah, I really thought it, it was it's a cool idea. People just need to have computers. <laughs> you can't do yeah. it on your cell phone. <laughs> yeah, I had, to, I had to go onto my desktop for that. It was fun, though. It's fun to interact while the show is being played. Real-time commentary. But uh, like us on social media, share us with your friends. I'm sure at this point that everyone's kind of losing their minds and looking for things to listen to. So suggest us, share yeah. us, love us. Get us out there. Thank you guys for listening. Bye. Bye. 
You've been listening to Balls, a supernatural podcast with Lizzie and Missy. If you want more, follow on Twitter and Instagram at SBNBallsPod or email SBNBallsPod at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe and follow Balls on your favorite streaming service.